grace and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all and welcome to worship with Morrisville Presbyterian Church. Whether you are a longtime member or a first-time visitor, it is a joy to be able to worship with all of you this day. It is indeed a joy to be able to worship with all of you present at home and all of you present here in our sanctuary this morning. You will notice that other worship leaders and myself will be taking off our masks through different parts of the worship service, but we ask you to keep your masks on, covering your nose and your mouth. This way folks can feel safe and welcome in our sanctuary as we worship God this day. In these weeks after Easter, we continue to announce the good news of Easter and journey alongside other disciples as they encounter the risen Christ. May we, in our worship today, open ourselves to the good news that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us worship God together. People of God, please join me in our call to worship as it's printed in your bulletin. We gather to worship the Christ, our Lord, who sacrificed so that we may live. We gather to worship Jesus, our friend and teacher, who calls us to greater peace and wholeness. Easter people, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Let us worship God together. Beloved Church, whoever believes in Christ will not be put to shame. Confident in the promise of forgiveness, let us confess our sin before God and one another. O oh God, you have called us to love in speech, in truth, and in action. Though you were rejected, we now know your love and grace. Still, O oh Lord, we offer empty thoughts and prayers when the world needs our hands and feet. We fail to share our lives with the world, hiding behind the myth of independence. Forgive us, we pray, and by your forgiveness, Raise us to new life in you. Beloved Church, the mercy of the risen Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Let us proclaim the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.
Well, good morning, young friends and young at heart friends. It is a delight to be with you today. Do you ever need to take a deep breath? We don't always like if people tell us to take a deep breath, but do you ever need a deep breath? Sometimes we need them to calm down or to focus on something we're working on or, or sometimes we need them because we've been running around all the time. We often forget how often we're breathing. And we haven't done this in a while. We haven't done our breath prayer in a while, but I imagine you still remember it. And if you're having a little trouble seeing me right now, that is okay. We're just getting people seated in the sanctuary, but we are glad you're here. I want you to practice our breath prayer with me. Do you remember it? It goes spirit in, self out, spirit in, self out. In our Bible story today, there is a man named Peter. And in the scripture, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I like to think Peter knew how to do these breath prayers. Spirit in, self out. Spirit in, self out. And I like to think Peter knew these breath prayers because when Peter was filled with the Spirit, he was able to do hard things. He was able to do scary things. He was able to tell other people how we can share the love of God with others. And he did that even with people who disagreed with him. He was able to do these hard and wonderful and beautiful things to share God's love because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think from time to time in our lives, especially, there are things that are still hard. There are places, a lot of places, we're still wearing masks. School isn't the same as it used to be. Church isn't the same as it used to be. There's a lot of things in the world that can get us upset or frustrated. There are a lot of things in the world when we need to remember to take a deep breath because God's Spirit wants to live in each of us. So we can do hard things. So we can do scary things. So we can share the love of God even when people disagree with us or when it's hard. God wants us to be filled with that same Spirit. And so I know we always pray together at the end of our time, but what we're going to do today is just breathe together a few times and breathe spirit in because we pray that God's spirit would fill us and guide us and help us to share God's love. And we pray self out because we know it's not always about us. And alone and left to our own devices, we don't always make the best decisions. We get angry and frustrated and we snap at people who love us. So today we're going to breathe. And as we breathe together, I want in your head for you to think spirit in, self out. Spirit in, self out.
Let us pray. Until next time, young friends and young at heart friends. As we prepare our hearts to hear God's word, let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our attention this morning is drawn to a courtroom. This might not be the courtroom that was on the forefront of our minds this week, but it is a courtroom nonetheless. In our text for today, Peter and John have been arrested. What crime have they committed, you ask? Well, they have healed a man, and they have been preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of from the dead. You might be sitting there thinking that this is a little odd, because this sounds like good news to us. 
healing and preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus Christ sounds like the definition of good news. But in our text for today, some do not see it that way. So we fix our attention to this courtroom. Someone bellows out, all rise, and in walks Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. The judges in our text for this morning. They take a seat on their bench as the rulers, elders, scribes, and priestly family of Jerusalem scuffle in to surround them. Next, Peter and John are dragged to center stage and are forced to stand in judgment before the assembly. The judges get the first word. By what power or by what name do you do this? They ask. Now do not let this simple question sway you. This is not an innocent question. There is no genuine curiosity that is coming from our judges this morning. Instead, they are making accusation. These judges are esteemed scholars. In their legal textbooks, they have studied the names of Apollo, Hades, and Zeus. Since their jurisdiction is in Jerusalem, they are well aware of the importance of the Hebrew God and his son called David. These judges have assuredly sworn oaths to the long list of Roman governors and the emperor himself. So there are acceptable and unacceptable names from which deeds of power and glory are allowed to come from. And Peter and John and their Jesus are not on the list. These judges are esteemed scholars and they also are powerful people. They are the ones who administer the policies and laws of the empire. They condone the whippings and the torture of criminals. They sentence the crucifixions and the deaths of rebels. So as our attention is fixed to this courtroom this morning, we are witnessing a power play. Rome has declared peace on earth, and the judges are supposed to uphold that peace through the list of acceptable names and authority figures given to them. But again, Peter and John and their Jesus are not playing by the rules. According to the judges, healing and teaching and resurrected life in the name of Jesus are bad news. They are heretical and Peter and John and Jesus are criminals. The judges are using their power to administer a false justice that maintains a false peace. When I think of justice and peace in this text, I can't help but picture the Supreme Court building. I'll tell you, I am a sucker for a good building. I could drive three hours down 95 to Washington, D.C. just to plop myself on the National Mall and marvel at the Supreme Court building from sunup to sundown. 
And you might be thinking, well, that is very unordinary there, Pastor, and you would probably be right. But it is not just the building itself for me, it is the meaning that it represents. The crisp white facade, emanating hopeful light against the gray reality we often find ourselves in. The clear-cut lines of squares and triangles that represent the pursuit of clarity in deliberation. And of course, the, the pillars of marble that hold it all together. These sturdy symbols of power holding firm in the face of tension and opposition. Stones keeping it all together from coming crumbling down. Our Supreme Court building is known as a temple of justice. Our symbol of maintaining power and peace. But like all human-made temples, our symbol of justice is not perfect. This week, the imperfection of our country's justice system was on display. It was hard to escape the grip of Derek Chauvin's trial for the death of George Floyd. The police officer who killed Floyd last summer, summer by kneeling on his neck for nine minutes was facing personal charges of murder and manslaughter while the country was engaging in our own court of public opinion. And in the court of public opinion, there is no facade of hope or light. There are no clear-cut lines of deliberation on our Facebook posts. There are no pillars strong enough to withhold the tension that divides families and friends on issues of race, police, and politics. After a summer that resurfaced the national conversation of race, it seemed like one of our only vehicles for deliberation was the trial of a single man for a single murder. It seems like the debates over the current impact of slavery, segregation, redlining, police brutality, and racism were all assembled together and collectively placed on the back of everyday people who we call jurors. The question before us was, do we have a race problem in our country? And are police culpable in this problem? But the tool used to answer that this question was a single courtroom in a high-rise building in Minneapolis. The jurors deliberated, a verdict was read, and while the system may have deemed justice done for this one crime, the larger question of justice still remains. In the case of George Floyd, a man is still dead. A daughter still does not have her father. And hours later, we learned a black teenager was killed by a police officer. Days later, more news of another black man was killed by police. 
So as I picture our Supreme Court building, our temple and symbol of justice, I can't help but wonder if the pillars of justice built by human hands are adequately withholding the tension of our time. Is this what justice looks like? Is this how we attain peace? That's when Peter taps us on the shoulder and says he has something to show us. Because Peter has been dreaming dreams. He has been seeing visions of a world not predicated by the limitations of earth and humanity. Instead, the Holy Spirit has been filling him. It has been revealing to Peter the kingdom of God on earth. True justice. So we return to our courtroom this morning, where the judges have passed down their question of judgment on Peter and John. Peter does not whimper a response of apology or petition like I would have. If I go to court for a speeding ticket, I am a bundle of nerves hoping that the officer doesn't show up so I can go scot-free. But not Peter. Peter is dragged before the same kind of people who questioned and condemned Jesus. He is dragged before the same kind of people who crucified and killed his friend and savior. And that when these people are looking to judge and condemn here, condemn him, Peter does not buckle. He does not crumble, but remains standing. Peter stood in faith because Peter knew, or possibly because the Holy Spirit did not let him deny the truth that God, in the name of Jesus Christ, is more powerful than any human name or authority on earth. When Peter opened his mouth in our text for today, the Holy Spirit not only responded to the judgment of the rulers, but also proclaimed something to all of Israel. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, Peter said. When P Peter opened his mouth, the Holy Spirit placed the power to heal a man, not in the command of Rome, but in the name of Jesus Christ. This man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ, Peter declared. And when Peter opened his mouth, the Holy Spirit transformed the vision of justice and peace for all who had a heart to hear. Peter was dreaming of a world where God is the center of salvation, not humanity. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone Peter preached that day. 
The cornerstone is a beautiful image. The Greek word that Peter uses here can either be a structure supporting the corner of a house or a keystone in the middle of an arch. As I hear Peter's words ringing through my ears, I picture the solid stone pillars of our Supreme Court building. They stand resolute in their human-made lines of clarity and delineation. These pillars are a symbol of an imperfect system with winners and losers incapable of keeping the tension of our country's sins at bay. But Peter invites us to dream a little. He invites us to think of these pillars as bending towards one another, white and black, prisoner and free, criminal and judge. And as these pillars bend closer and closer to each other, we feel the tension rising. Generations of oppression and trauma. Fear of security being taken away from our neighborhoods. Prejudice, greed, othering. But the difference between the human-made pillars of justice that keep us apart and the new vision of justice that Peter is inviting us to witness is the key that unlocks the fears in our hearts. It is the stone that can withhold any tension and keep us together as one humanity. It is the keystone in the arch. Jesus Christ. Peter is declaring that in Jesus Christ we find the patience to be able to listen to the people who have long been silenced instead of speaking over them. Peter is declaring that in Jesus Christ we find the courage to admit that we don't want things to change for fear of our lives instead of holding on to a system that is not fair for everyone. Peter is declaring that in Jesus Christ, we start to begin to heal, to reconcile, to imagine the change needed for all to experience peace and justice, not just some. But we have to be willing to go there. Beloved church, the Chauvin trial has taught us this week that one case will not bring about the justice needed to rectify hundreds of years of slavery, decades of oppression, and generations of trauma all inflicted because of the color of somebody's skin. For that, we cannot seek a justice found here on earth that is limited to winners and losers of individual battles a human justice built to maintain an imperfect peace and power. Instead, we seek a divine power that calls individuals to admit our own role in the injustice in the world, to push the boundaries beyond our own peace and security, and instead invite all into, uh, all, invite all into the shade of God's justice to act in a love 
that is so powerful it conquers even death. Peter preached in our text for today that in the name of Jesus Christ, healing occurs. In the name of Jesus Christ, God's justice is done. In the name of Jesus Christ, peace is restored. And that invitation from our text this morning is not to reject this divine healing injustice, this healing justice and power for the human-made structures of our time. Instead, the invitation is first to repent, to admit that we are human, that we seek earthly gains, that we promote a peace for ourselves that keeps others out. But from that repentance comes healing, comes grace, comes justice, comes a vision and a dream of God's peace. This stone that was rejected by us, the builders, has become the cornerstone. Let it be so. Amen. Please turn to your bulletin and join me as we affirm our faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed. Together, let us state what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Beloved Church, having heard the word proclaimed, let us reflect and notice the movement of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. As the hymn, Christ is made the sure foundation, is offered in praise.
People of God, let us pray. God of all creation, in this springtime season we come to worship this day to praise you. Your hands, O oh God, have fashioned whole worlds of wonder. Today we mark that divine craftsmanship in the building of daffodils, in tulips that take our breath away, in trees that rustle in the wind in these long and difficult days. O oh God, there is so much that is wrong with this world, so much that causes anxiety, fear, and deep sadness. Yet the springtime renewal of life reminds us that in your hands there is so much that is right. Help us to see in this spring not simply a natural cycle that repeats itself each year, but instead help us to see deeper down into the dear promise of the gospel itself. Help us to see in each flower that is blooming not a fleeting glimpse of beauty that must soon fade away, but an enduring glimpse of the glory which you have promised us, which you have promised us and all creatures because of who God is and of what Jesus Christ has done. Receive our praise and thanksgiving this day, O God, for all that is radiant with hope. Hear our petitions this day for all that is wrong and sinful and full of suffering. Hear our prayers for the sick, for the lonely and the grieving. We pray especially this day for those whose lives have become what at times seem to be no more than a series of setbacks and increasing limitations that come with age. Give patience and strength to those who hear a child say, Mom, you can't drive the car anymore. Or, Dad, we think the nursing section will be best. Fill with grace and love those who find themselves parenting those they call parent. Give peace that passes understanding, O oh God, and for those who feel their independence and dignity has been stripped away, clothe their spirits with your spirit. Assure them that they bear the dignity of being your child and that nothing can separate them from your love. Provide light for those who so often stumble in darkness. Grant healing and proper medical care for the sick, for the addicted, for the abused. Help us as your church to care for the hungry and the poor and the homeless and the oppressed. Give us both the clarity of vision that helps us to see the needs of people, but also the wisdom to meet those needs in meaningful and lasting ways. God, we give thanks for a church where we know friend and family come together. 
We thank you for a church that is more than a building, but is also a building that matters deeply. We pray for the witness of that church, for a congregation that continues to worship both in the sanctuary and from our homes. We pray that your unity would be enough to guide us into the future you are already preparing. Bless us as we greet one another in homecoming. Be with us as we welcome one another home. And yet at the same time, remind us, God, that our only home is the one we have in you. And so bring peace at long last in all places, O God. Where there is stubborn resolve or tunnel vision, soften hearts, expand our eyes. Too often we seem to see no way out of various spiraling conflicts. Even this week, one decision has not changed the reality that many still live with fear. Equality is not realized. Equity is but a distant dream. But we've faced this before, Lord of history. In the name of Jesus Christ, we prayed for apartheid to end, and it did. In the name of Jesus Christ, we prayed for the Berlin Wall to fall, and it did. We prayed for these things, though we confess we didn't really think we'd live to see the day. We prayed for these things, but we also know you called us then and call us now to live into the things for which we so fervently pray. So give us strength to continue to struggle for justice tomorrow and until your kingdom comes. Hear our prayers for peace, even as we own up to the sneaking suspicion in the back of our minds that peace seems forever to elude so many parts of this globe. So surprise us again, O oh God. Work through our prayers and our actions for a greater justice, a greater respect for life, a greater peace, all greater than we can even imagine. Empower us, embolden us, send us. And in whatever way we each need to see your surprise this week, O oh God, may you bring it in abundance whether that's surprise in relationships, surprise in a conversation, surprise in a job, surprise with a family member, surprise with health care, whatever it is, O oh God, bring your surprise. May it never be fleeting, but always a reminder of your sure presence among us. Open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to the generosity of your spirit. Give us strength to press on in faithful discipleship in the week ahead. Remind us of your abiding love and grace so we can be beacons of that love and grace to co-workers, neighbors, friends, students, strangers. Anoint our eyes to see your image residing deep within each person. Anoint our ears to hear the cries of all who surround us, especially those most vulnerable. Anoint our hands to do gospel work. 
Anoint our lips to speak gospel justice and peace, so that in all ways, in all times, in all places, we may glorify you. And now hear us as we join together in the words your Son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved church, our God is the cornerstone of our faith and life, able to withstand the tension of our time and calls us to greater justice, greater peace, greater forgiveness. So let us go out into the world and do likewise. And as we go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, be with those you love, be with those you are called to love, this day and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>